Psalm 85. O Lord, Thou didst show favor to Thy land. Thou didst restore the captivity of Jacob. Thou didst forgive the iniquity of Thy people. Thou didst cover all their sin. Thou didst withdraw all Thy fury. Thou didst turn away from Thy burning anger. Restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause Thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt Thou be angry with us forever? Wilt Thou prolong Thine anger to all generations? Wilt Thou not Thyself revive us again? that thy people may rejoice in thee. Show us thy loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before Him and will make His footsteps into a way. A few years ago, Barbara Streisand recorded a tune that skyrocketed to the top of the charts. It's kind of a haunting song about the way we were. It starts out like this, Memory is like the corner of my mind. Misty, watercolored memories of the way we were. Scattered pictures of the smiles we left behind. Smiles we had for one another for the way we were. A haunting song about how it used to be. And it's not unlike this psalm written by an unknown songwriter about the way it was. And he recalls days of former blessings. And there's kind of a sob in the song called Psalm 85 because it's not like it used to be. It's not like the way it was. I think all of us can identify because all of us can remember former days of the blessing of God. And we're sad today because... It's not like it used to be. I suppose the key word in this psalm is the word again. It suggests that the longing of the psalmist is that he return them to a lost relationship and restore them to a previous condition that was now that is now different. Oh, if we could have it like we used to have it. And I suppose that many of us could sing the song the way we were and 
long for the days when God blessed, when the church was alive. Really, this is a psalm that's dedicated to people who can remember when, how it used to be. They're living lives of defeat now, but they can remember when they lived in continuous victory. It's dedicated to people who, when they pray, feel that heaven is closed to them and their, fall, their, their prayers fall back because heaven is as brass. And they can remember when they moved God and man in prayer. And it's dedicated to folks whose life is filled with deadness and dryness and powerlessness. But they can remember when Life for them was fresh and vital. Oh, to have it like we used to. If you were to read verses 1 through 3 and close your Bible, it would be great. If you could just have the first three verses of this psalm and that was it, you'd think how wonderful times are. And that's how it used to be. But verses 4 and 5 describe the present condition. As a matter of fact, verse 4 refers back to verse 1. You did restore, restore us again because we've drifted away. And verse 5 refers back to verse 3. You did restrain your anger, but now you're angry with us again. Return us. And what is the answer to all of this? The answer is that the psalmist calls on God for revival. The answer is revival. Now the question this morning is not do we need revival. The question is what do we need more than revival. I've heard a lot of people in light of the present day condition in the Middle East say that it seems like that this might be the end of the age, that the Lord may be returning soon. But it seems to me that the Bible teaches that before He returns, there will be a sweeping revival in the land. He's coming back for His bride, the church, and the bride is pure and spotless and undefiled and robed in white. That's not the condition of the present day church. It seems to me that before he returns for his bride, he's got to do some work to make the bride more like the bride. Before there can be the return of the Lord, there may need to be a sweeping revival. And if you read the third chapter of Acts, beginning of verse 19, there is the three-point program that God has for the world. There is repentance and refreshing and then the return of the Lord. So if what we need is revival, and what God longs to give is revival, what is revival? I mean, would we know one if we saw it, stared it in the face? Three things from this text, very simple. First of all, revival is a work of God. And so the psalmist directs his prayer directly to God and he says, Will thou not thyself revive us? And the thou is in the emphatic position. Now evangelism is what the church does for God. But revival is what God does for the church. A.J. Garden went to the state fair one time and he said from a distance he saw this man in a brightly colored suit 
pumping with one of these old hand pumps. And boy, he was pumping out the water. He said as he got closer, he observed that it really wasn't a man. It was the wooden figure of a man dressed in a gold suit. And he was attached to a pump that was, that was being generated, powered by an electric motor, said A.J. Garden. The man wasn't pumping the water. The water was pumping a man. Now from a distance, it may seem that revival is what man does in and through or for the church. That's not it. Revival is what God does for man. And I heard a preacher friend tell that he was preaching revival out in West Texas and he said he he didn't call it revival in in honor of the word. He says more like a wake. He said for about a week I set up with dead bodies, you know. He said, toward the end of the week, he said, the preacher got up, frustrated preacher, and did what most pastors do. He started berating the people. And he said, folks, we need to do more for God. We need to get out there and do more for the Lord. He said, I'm sitting up on the platform, and I'm thinking about all this promotion and all this advertising and all these these visits we'd made. He said, this little still, small voice inside of me said, no, we don't need to do more for God. We need to get in a position and get quiet so God can do something for us. That's revival. Now to say that revival is a work that God does means two things. It means that revival is a sovereign act. And if God doesn't do it, it goes undone. You can do or get you one of those revival preparation manuals and you can do one, two, three, and four. That's not going to guarantee it. It's what God does in a sovereign act of God. When I started preaching, I, Billy Graham was at the height of his evangelistic success. Now I'm a 19-year-old preacher and a pastor of a church and I'm thinking to myself, what you got to do is preach Billy Graham's sermons. I mean, when he preaches them, thousands of people would be saved. I mean, every time Cliff Barrows would come on the radio and that resonant voice, this is the hour of decision. I I get this cold chill down my spine. I even call my worship services the hour of decision. True story. Eleven people there, the hour of decision. And I preached his sermons. I mean, I even changed my voice. And I'd preach those sermons. Nothing happened. You know the difference? God anointed the sermon when Billy Graham preached it, not when I did. And I observed that as I went along in the ministry, there'd be some sermons I'd preach and be tremendous response. You know what I'd do with those sermons? I'd file them under R, repeat. And I'd come to another time when I wanted some results and I'd go to the R file. I'd get out those repeat sermons. I'd preach them again. Nothing happened. The difference was that the second time or the third time I preached them, God didn't anoint them then. Well, you see, revival is an act of the sovereign God, a sovereign act. More importantly, it's a supernatural act. It's what happens in church When the folks go away, it's that thing that happens and the folks go away and can't explain it except in terms of God. Now if you can explain what happens at the church, 
like this. We did one, two, three, and four, and we got old so-and-so here to preach. If you can explain that and call that revival, and you can explain it and define it in terms of human explanation, whatever you call it, it's not revival. Revival is the supernatural. It's what the world says when they observe what's going on at the church and say, what is happening down there? It's what Rahab the harlot meant when she said to those spies, we knew that God was with you and terror fell on us. You know, the problem we have today is that the world is hearing what great things we're doing and is not impressed at all. Revival is a work of God. Secondly, revival is a work of God through His people. Now verse 8 says, the psalmist said, I will listen to what God speaks and He will speak peace to His people. I'm going to say something right now. I told him in the early service that before I you tar and feather me, I want you to hear me out. I'm going to say something that sounds controversial, but I believe it's true. God is more concerned about His people than He is about lost people. And you say, well, wait a minute. Now, what about that passage over in 2 Peter where it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Have you read the verse that precedes that, the part that precedes that part of that verse? This is what that says. It says, God is not slow concerning His promise, but is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not patient toward the lost, but to us. And so He puts up in patience with our apathy and our backsliding because He knows the only plan He has for winning the world is a plan through you and me. And you've heard that parable about the day Jesus ascended back to heaven and the holy angels met Him. And they said, Lord, we know Your plan to win the world to You. Did it succeed? And the Lord said, not the world. No, not the world believed. Well, what about your plan? Well, I left my plan to 12 men. Well, what if they fail? The answer, there is no other plan. F.B. Meyer, the great Christian mystic of the first century told about one night when he and a hundred men went out into the woods and they knelt on an Indian mound to discuss why they were so powerless in the church, why the church was so dead. And he said, one man stood up and gave testimony of how he was delivered from a former despair and said this, the question is not, do I work for God? The question, will God work through me? Said F.B. Meyer, from that night we knelt on, a, on the ground on that Indian mound and we prayed, not henceforth for thee, O God, but thou, Lord, through me. Revival begins when God's people 
pray that prayer and really mean it. Not henceforth for thee, but thou through me, O Lord. Now when God does a work in and through His people, what is it like? There are three things happens. First of all, He does a work of righteousness. Look at verses 10 and 11 and 13. And the word righteousness occurs again and again and again. It's the word that means rightness with God and rightness with man. Now I've heard people say about revival, you know that church is in revival down there. I mean they get down there and they just praise the Lord and there's even some shouting going on down there. Not every time but sometimes we come to church and we praise the Lord and we go out and live the same way that we did as we did before we came. Let me tell you something, listen to me. When revival occurs in the church, there will be a return to personal holiness and there will be a break from the world. When revival comes to the church, there will be a return to holiness and a break from the world. And whatever else you call that, if that doesn't occur, whatever else you call the meeting, it is not revival. I think some of us would have to admit this morning that there are some things in our life that if we even thought about doing them ten years ago, we would blush with embarrassment. You admit that. You admit this morning that there are some things in your life that ten years ago you would have been ashamed of. You admit that. You admit this morning that there are some things that you say and do you would never think of saying and doing ten years ago. And you say, well, Pastor, times have changed. Times may have changed, but God hasn't. And righteousness is the same. And when righteousness, when revival comes, there will be rightness with God and rightness with man. Second, there will be joy. Verse 6, He said, Revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. The greatest sign or evidence of a lack of revival is that you've lost your joy. Notice it's not rejoice. We, we know how to rejoice. I mean, we know how to party hearty. You let somebody have a party and everybody shows up. It's not rejoice. It's rejoice in thee. Now listen to me. What he's saying is this, that when revival comes, you find your joy in Him. It's what the psalmist meant when he said, in thy presence is fullness of joy, and in thy right hand are treasures forever. If you get more out of television than you get out of the Word, you need revival. If you'd rather go to a picture show than a prayer meeting, you need revival. Do you find yourself avoiding spiritual encounters? You need revival. I find, he said, my joy in the Lord. It's what these sang about. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Have you lost it? Then he said, there'll be reaping. 
there'll be a harvest. Notice what he says in verse 12. He said, when revival comes, when God gives the good thing, there'll be a harvest of produce. Somehow I felt in the early service. Did you get the idea that, that I wasn't even plugged in here? That, I mean, it seemed like nobody responded. I came to that invitation time and I thought, why give an invitation? These people haven't heard. I'm absolutely convinced that if this church experiences genuine revival, there'll not only be rejoicing and return to personal holiness, there'll be so many people get saved we couldn't baptize them in a week. What if God came to you today and He said to you, I know that you have concerned about some lost friend or some neighbor. I want to make a bargain with you. I want to make a deal with you. You've got this little habit in your life. You give me that little habit and I'll save that family member. Would you give it up? That's exactly the deal God has made with us. And I don't know, I'm not sure about this, but it just may be that when we stand before God in judgment, He may say, I wanted to bless, and I wanted to heal that land, and I wanted to save your family member, your loved one, but you had this critical spirit, and you had this tendency to gossip, and you were covetous and full of pride, and you had hypocrisy. I wanted to hear your prayer, but I couldn't. For you see, the thing that makes the prayer acceptable is that the one who is praying is acceptable. And what God listens to is not our wonderfully constructed prayer. What God listens to is our Jesus-like life. And Jesus said Himself that the Son always receives an answer from the Father. One other thought, please. Revival is a work of God through His people in answer to prayer. Matthew Henry said, when God begins to get ready to revive His church, He sets His people to praying. Somebody went to the meeting concerning the Welch Revival in 1904 and 1905. Revival came to Wales through Evans Roberts, the great preacher of Wales. This man went to a meeting where pastors were gathered together to discuss the revival in Wales. And this guy sat there and listened. And after a while he stood up and he said, I've come all the way from America to find the secret of the Welsh revival. I've not heard anybody give the secret of the Welsh revival. And when he said that, Evans Roberts jumped to his feet and he held out his hands toward the young man and said, There is no secret. Ask and you shall receive. Revival comes when God's people pray. Now there are two things about that prayer. 
First of all, it must be cleansed praying. The psalmist said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The word regard means to give an uncontested place. It means to be sympathetic. So if you pray, listen to me, if you pray, it must come from a clean heart, a pure heart. For if there is any unconfessed sin in your life or mine, God said, I'll not hear you. And it must be confident praying. One thing about Psalm 85 is that it is a psalm of prayer. And he prays from a platform of confidence. And you can just sense that if God restored the captivity of Jacob, he would... If he started to do that, he'd do it again. And you can just feel the confidence. If God restrained his righteous anger once, he would do it again. Do you think God, if God started a good work, and if God at one time in the past was blessing a church, do you think he would not want to complete it? Why, he didn't rest in creation until he'd finished his work. And Jesus didn't commit his spirit to the Father until the work was finished. I tell you, God has begun, in the past began, the work of restoration and renewal and revival in the land. All he is doing is waiting to finish it. High up in the snows, the endless snows of the highest Andes, a little trickle of water bubbles up and begins to make a hesitant trace on the surface of the rock and starts down. At first, it's just like, almost like a little sliver of light as it starts down the Andes. 3,600 miles later, the Amazon empties into the Atlantic Ocean at the rate of 186,000 cubic meters per second, draining one-fifth of all the water that runs off of the surface of the earth. And 60 miles out into the Atlantic, it's still purifying salt water. And it all began with a little trickle. Somewhere the Nile River begins in an unknown place, 8,500 feet, 8, feet up in the mountains of Burunda. And 4,154 miles later, the Nile empties into the sea. And it all began with a little trickle of water smaller than the size of my pinky finger. And Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come to me, and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Revival. And it all begins with a tiny act, magnanimous act, 
awe-inspiring moment when a person bows before the God who made him and says, I repent of my sin. I repent of that which angers you in holy wrath. And henceforth, not for thee, I dare not trust the arm of flesh, but henceforth, Lord, through me, rivers of living water. And out of this little moment in time that'll be an infinitesimal speck on the dial of God's eternity, out of this moment could come Am I being melodramatic? No. I'm being realistic and truthful and biblical. Out of this moment can come the revival that moves a nation. And when I finished in the early service, not one soul said, began in me. And my heart nearly broke. Would you bow your head? Father, we pray today that we would come to the desperate, desperate and longing and realization and need to pray, Lord, restore your people to the farmer condition, to the garden condition, to the glory condition. to the revived, victorious, fruitful condition. In our heart, Lord, in our heart, create renewal, I pray in Jesus' name.